Welcome to Elements of Styles, the business podcast that trades in scarce thinking for community, conversation, and ideas in abundance. Each week, I, Mark Styles, sit with professionals and entrepreneurs, both local and global, and learn how they each add value to their communities, their partners, and their teams. Please enjoy. Hey, welcome back to Elements of Styles. Today, we're going to collaborate with the Dr. Joe Show, of which I'm a co-host. This was an amazing episode, and I really wanted to share it with you in case you hadn't already heard it. Please enjoy. Mark, Mm. would you please introduce our guest? I would be honored to, Dr. Joe. This is an amazing human being, extremely intelligent. I get to see him every day, have been for the last 10 years. He is the estate planning attorney at Stiles Law. He is a father, a husband, and someone who is very passionate about helping other people. His name is Ben Cody. Ben Cody, welcome. Thank you, thank you. I uh, Now I'm blushing. That was quite the introduction. <laughs> yeah, but it's so true. Think how many people you help with this. But, but you're doing estate planning. That's right. So let me ask you, first of all, I know this is going to be a silly question, but what is an estate? So... An estate can mean a couple different things. So technical, in the legal technical sense, an estate means stuff, the things mm-hmm. that you own. Uh, and when we're thinking about estate planning, it could mean what we leave behind, what we're trying to protect, uh, what we're trying to manage if somebody's incapacitated with a disease like Alzheimer's or something like that. Uh, so it could mean a few different things. Hmm. And everybody has one, I assume. I mean, actually, I can't say that because I don't really have one yet. So, And I'm curious about that. Well, you don't have a plan. I don't have a plan. You have an estate. You simply don't have a plan yet. Yeah. And a failure to plan is a plan to fail. Yeah. It's an an interesting avoidance, I think, in some ways. It's very interesting, and we'd love to investigate that a little further. What do you make of it? You've you've seen people come in and and maybe not want to do it? Yeah, it's actually a really interesting job because I get to meet people in a really vulnerable place – Uh, in a place where they're often very concerned for various reasons. They're worried about their ultimate demise. They're worried about sharing facts that are very intimate with a stranger. Um, I get to really peel back and see things uh, from a really unique perspective. Uh, And there's a whole lot of reasons that people might be concerned about going through the estate planning process. Uh, They might be worried that uh, they haven't planned already for finances, so they could be worried about what retirement looks like. Uh, They could be worried about the thought of not being around for their children. Lots of things that people uh, are concerned with and kind of drive the process. Hmm. How did you get into this, Cody? Well, Ben Cody. (laughs) Cody. uh, So I started in Mark's office, uh, primarily focused on real estate uh, and was really intrigued by the estate planning process because it's very different. Um, So rather than being transactional in nature, I'm able to coach people. I'm able to teach people. A lot of what I do is being a teacher uh, and allowing people to make decisions for themselves. So it's a really interesting um, job. And it's something that I was uh, fortunate enough to be to learn from some uh, very experienced attorneys that were able to take me under their wing. And I was able to learn how to actually do the nuts and bolts of planning. Uh, But it's one of those things where you have to do it in order to truly understand how to do it. Uh, It's not something you can really just read in a book. And you've been doing it for how long now? Uh, I would say probably the last five years we've been uh, really focused on estate planning. It's uh, So it started as something that I would do occasionally, and now it's pretty much what I spend my entire day working on. Hmm. And what what is the process? I mean, we'll get into that, but 
does it take days, weeks, years, or does it depend on on who's coming in with their estate? Yeah, it it depends on uh, who's coming in. And that could be because of the complexity of the assets they own or the complexity of the situation that they might find themselves in. So some of the uh, planning or the, some plans take longer to do uh, because people haven't decided what they ultimately want. So the first meeting, we might be getting into things that they've never considered before. Uh, so one of the things I'll often mention is you're sitting at a barbecue with your family. A meteor falls out of the sky, takes out everyone in your immediate family. Where does your stuff go? Uh, and that kind of knocks people back in their chair. Uh, it's something that you don't really think about. Oh, my gosh. What if my kids aren't going to survive me? What happens? Wow. Uh, so sometimes people just haven't thought about things that we need to decide. Uh, and sometimes... Uh, especially if it's a couple, they might not be in agreement. Uh, so that one spouse might say, or one partner might say, I want to do A. The other partner or spouse says, I want to do B. And uh, to some extent, I can try and give my input and uh, say why each one of them might have a reasonable position or one, why one person might want to reconsider. Uh, but ultimately, it's uh, important for everyone to be on the same page and come to an agreement. Oh. You know, there's there's so much to ask here. I, for one, am fascinated by this. My guess is there are a lot of people out there who are listening tonight, Ben, who have no idea about estate planning. So let me ask, what has been one of the most challenging uh, estate plans, especially, you know, if we've got a couple that can't agree on something? Yeah, so there's a couple areas that people often will find themselves in a disagreement. Uh, but the one I find the most is picking a guardian for minor children. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's really tough because what you're forced to do is say, if I'm not here, who's going to raise my kids? It's very visceral, very emotional. Uh, it's something that a lot of people struggle with. Sometimes the answer is obvious. Both of them come in and say, our brother, John, he's the perfect person to raise our kids. Sometimes there really isn't an obvious answer. Sometimes they don't agree. Uh, but what I remind people is you really want to, there's no one that's going to replace you. Mm. No one's going to be the perfect guardian. We're really just trying to find the best guardian, the person that you think is going to give your kids the best shot. Um, and that, I find, is the most challenging for, thing for people to get their heads around uh, and can really delay the process where they really agonize over it. Uh, one of the things that I uh, tell my clients when I'm meeting with them is usually their gut reaction is the right reaction. Mm. Um, so if you think to yourself, I think this person is the right choice. Nine times out of ten, that's the person that you ultimately pick and put into your documents when you sign them. Mark, you're in this as well. I mean, I am. So it's very important to me that this is part of our practice because we're we have a proactive law firm, right? We plan proactively. We're not reactive. We uh, tend to uh, practice law to help you stay out of the court system as opposed to uh, being part of the court system. And estate planning is a is an important critical piece to that because without a plan you end up automatically in the court system so if you have proper trust planning you can help avoid the probate court and a lot of people have questions about the probate court oh i think we may get to that at some point but we actually have a call in oh here yeah. we go live here on w and it's, it's brendan on the phone hello brendan Hi, how are you guys? We're doing great. Thanks. Where are you calling from, Brendan? Uh, actually calling from uh, sunny Los Angeles. I love that. Look at that. That's very nice and nice to know because estate planning 
is not just confined to Marshfield. It's and global. neither is the Dr. Joe show, apparently. That's right. Look at that. Now you got you got fans across the country. Oh, that's really. I think that's great. I'm I'm my oxytocin is through the roof right now. <laughs> so Brandon, you got uh, you have to check those. Make sure your estate's in order if you're going to have a leaky roof. <laughs> Good point. Good point. So you have a question for uh, for Ben. Yeah, and Ben, thank you for taking the time to educate all of us. Um, this is something that's that's on my mind, my wife's mind. My wife and I don't have children yet. We've been kind of concentrating on our careers and something like estate planning. It, it kind of gets lost in the mix and, and down the, the latter priority. But you know, kind of thinking, like, you know, is now a good time for, for us to think about estate planning? Or, or maybe when is the best time to start thinking about estate planning? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, and that answer largely depends on a lot of factors. Uh, so where a person is in their life, in their career, in their family's life, um, there's a lot of things that go into it. Um, and the need and the tools that we use change depending on the answers to all those questions. So for instance, somebody that's focused on their career, they don't have kids yet, uh, they would likely benefit from uh, a fairly straightforward plan uh, that might include a will, uh, and that makes sure that uh, your spouse inherits everything uh, in the event that one of you passes away. Uh, the other thing that we think about is a power of attorney and a healthcare proxy. Those documents are critical in the event somebody is injured in a car crash or is incapacitated with an illness. Uh, and these are things that we can't really foresee. Um, and so it's very important at really at any age to have those documents in place to maintain your dignity, maintain your agency so that those decisions are being made by people that you want to make them and not somebody that's later appointed by the court or no one at all. Right. Yeah. I, that's actually a really good point because, um, you know, I always assume that because it's just my wife and I, that all of my assets are just automatically but her, is that is that the case? Or do you really want to make sure that that stuff is locked in? Well, it depends. So it'll depend on state law, of course. I can only opine as to Massachusetts. Uh, but that being said, the type of ownership that you have is important. So if you own mm -hmm. assets jointly with your wife, very likely you'd inherit them automatically by operational law. However, if you have assets that are titled in your name only, we would look at something called the laws of intestacy or the rules of intestacy. And that's a set of rules that tells us in the absence of a will, where does a person's property go after they pass away? And in Massachusetts, if one spouse passes away and they have a surviving parent, the estate doesn't automatically go entirely to the surviving spouse. Hmm. It could be split between their parents and uh, their spouse, which for most married couples is not, in, at least in my experience, is not what they want. Um, so having a sure. will, even if uh, you think that you're too young for one, uh, might be something that you'd want to consider. So, so a will is part of an estate plan. It's it's different. Yeah, that's exactly right. So a will is really just a tool, just like any of the documents we we might talk about. We talk about trusts, wills, powers of attorney. Uh, they're all tools in our toolbox to achieve a certain uh, end goal or objective. So a will might be enough to set in motion a plan for somebody at one stage in their life, but a trust might be something that somebody would consider at a later point in their life. Uh, great. I really appreciate the answer, Ben. Thank you. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for calling in, Brandon. Thanks, Brandon. Of course. Okay, great. So, so what's a, tr a trust then? 
Sure. And that's a good question. So at least when I first started practicing in this area, I had a picture in my mind of what a trust was. It was a trust fund baby. It was Richie Rich sitting by the pool with a stack of hundreds. And that's not what it is, at least in my experience. A trust is really just a legal vehicle that we create during our lifetime. And there's three jobs. There's a settler. That's the person that creates the trust. You can think of them kind of like the founder of a company. We have a trustee. That's the person that manages the trust property. They're kind of like the president. They'll make decisions about distributing money, investing assets. And then we have uh, another job, which is called the beneficiary. They're the person that actually gets the benefit of the trust property. The reason that a trust is powerful is there's really two things. Number one, unlike a person, a trust doesn't die. We don't need to probate a will for a trust. All we do is look at the trust and say, who's the next trustee? Who's the next beneficiary? Those people assume those roles and we can continue managing the assets without having to go through court. The other reason that a trust is really powerful is we can protect beneficiaries. So suppose I have a young family, like I do, uh, and I wanted to make sure that assets are available for my kids when they're under 18. A trust is critical because People who are under 18, minors, they can't actually hold assets, at least in Massachusetts, they can't. So the trustee will manage the property for their benefit. And at some point when they're older, either at the trustee's discretion or at stated ages, those beneficiaries, so the the kids who eventually become adults, uh, they will ultimately inherit the money and it'll be available for them uh, to care for themselves. And then it comes out of the trust? That's right. And it can come out in a couple different ways. The trustee, while the kids are turning uh, towards young adulthood, the trustee might say, okay, we're going to use money to pay for college. We're going to pay for a wedding, pay for the first home. Uh, And then eventually we want to see the trust sunset or eventually be um, settled. We want the the trust trust assets to come out, be distributed by the trustee, and eventually given to the beneficiaries. And then would the beneficiaries then be smart to put it in another trust? Uh, that's often what we see. So, um, we'll see the next generation take their inheritance, put it into a trust to benefit their children, but it's not just children. So that's an assumption that I've made because that's how most people set it up. Often, uh, we'll see charities listed in trusts. Um, so it's not just for passing assets to the next generation. It's also meant to do some good in the world. Um, so there's a lot of options that we can do or a lot of tools we can use to achieve objectives, depending on what people want to do with their assets. Yeah. Yeah. I certainly have seen that having people leave money to charity in their Mm -hmm. trust. Um, you bring up a good question, though, Dr. Joe. You know, what is an estate plan, right? So we work in this space on a daily basis. So we assume things that we might not. And the way we look at the estate plan, it's the whole package, right? It's all of it. It's the umbrella over the whole protection. And when Ben was talking about trust, I, it, it brings me to the concept where I first learned about trust. And it's in a lot of people teach it in the visual context of a bucket. So you put everything in the bucket. You put your securities in the bucket, your bank accounts in the bucket, your house goes in the bucket. What, so what's you, a security? Uh, stocks. Stocks. Bonds, okay. Stocks and bonds. Okay. Um, business assets. You're rolling everything into this bucket so you can visualize this bucket and it's all controlled with the trustee, Mm. with the discretion of uh, what the document actually says. Mm. And it's important for a lot of people because, Ben, you know, I'd like to, you know, opine on this, you know, without it, at the age of 18, the beneficiaries would typically 
get all of the assets. So you can imagine that Trustafarian uh, that that we were talking about sitting nice. at the, the sitting at the beach is driving a you know Ferrari because they inherited a million dollars at the age of eighteen. Now maybe that's not what the family would have wanted to see happen because that million dollars is gone in two years mm. as opposed to having been uh, invested wisely with a fiduciary and it's growing and he, there's a financial advisor. So that's another word, involved. fiduciary. I'm not sure everybody knows what that one is. What's that one? So that's a trusted person who is held to a very high standard who it has the duty of... Uh, what would the what would be the true definition to the? Well, it's a person in a position of trust. So it could be a trustee, it could be a personal representative, a power or an attorney. In fact, under a power of attorney, uh, and they have duties to uh, another individual. So a trustee owes a duty of loyalty, a duty of care, uh, a duty of uh, accounting. So many duties that are owed to the beneficiary. Um, and so in that way, by placing the money with this person, this position of trust, mm. um, they're held to that high standard. And if they breach that duty, the trustees removed and can be held liable for their acts. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that is trust. And part of it is prudent investing, right? What's reasonable? What what should that trustee have done over the course of that period of time? And if it's sat in a checking account. Well, that wasn't the best thing that you could have done, which is why we encourage um, engaging the advice of a financial professional. So we work with a lot of financial advisors and a lot of financial advisors refer their clients to us to handle the estate plan. And it's really important that those teams work together, the financial advisor, the estate planning attorney, the CPA, the tax professionals, the insurance professionals are all working together for that person. But again, what Ben had mentioned from the very beginning, you know, his initial impression of what a trust was or trust, uh, trust fund baby or trustafari. And I like to refer to them as sometimes, um, it's not for only the wealthy. It is a wise plan for everybody. Hmm. There's so many good reasons for it. One, one, the primary reason is to avoid the probate court because when you go into the probate court, you're opening up potentially Pandora's box. You're allowing everybody, the public is aware that everything is open for objection. With the trust, as Ben was saying, it, it simply flows outside of the court. It's more of a contract that that has specific terms and provisions that's private but when you don't have that and you enter the court system it leaves room for disputes i like to tell my clients uh, when i'm meeting with them if a will goes through the probate court or in the, if there isn't a will uh, there's a petition filed uh, for an intestate estate the first piece of paper that the person's going to receive from the court is a notice that they have 30 days to file an objection. And if you don't file the objection, you've waived that right. So the natural inclination for a lot of people is to say, fight or flight, my back's up against the wall. I have this timeline in mind. I, If I don't do it now, I've lost this right. They file the objection. And routinely that will add 
18 months to 36 months of litigation mm -hmm. with attorneys, uh, turmoil, and broken family. Uh, and that's one of the things. People come in thinking that they want to protect money. It's really about protecting people. Uh, money just happens to be the thing that people think about, but that's not really what estate planning is all about. That, that really is an interesting dynamic there. So how would, how would we um, apply this to somebody who's just saying, you know, I, I really don't, I don't know even what my estate is, you know, like, is it, is it my house? Is it all the things in my house? Is it my family? Is it my family? Is it my, you know, my, my legacy? Is it, you know, the, the books that I wrote? I mean, all of the above. Really? Mm. Huh. All of the above. All of it. So how do you, how do you contain it all? How do you how put do you it, put it all together and put it in the bucket? Exactly. And then direct what you would like to see happen. And it takes thought and it takes, it takes critical thinking and it takes, um, it takes a team, right? Especially if there's a husband and a wife, because as Ben was saying before, when we were talking about the guardianship, that's one of the obstacles that people have. We were talking about that off the air. You know, why is it that some people put this off? Um, and one of it is because we can't decide, you know, who's going to be the perfect replacement for us. Well, nobody, but it, it requires purposeful thinking and, and really introspective thinking about a future without you and, and visualizing what will happen after. And that's legacy. Yeah. Right. And we talked about legacy, but is that some of the resistance you think to, you know, to really think about what is it going to be like when I'm not here? In other words, when I'm dead, well, it's interesting. So I have a few, um, elderly clients who are resisting um, planning and they need to because they've got a lot of things in a lot of various places and they're very nervous about doing it in that it it's it puts a stamp on it and it's in and it and it really makes them feel as though once I do this then I'm done yeah, I mean it's like you know taking a risk, right? It's like jinxing something. If, exactly. I, if I do my if I do my estate planning, am I jinxing myself? Right. I'm gonna die. I'm gonna die. <clears throat> yeah. Is have you found that? And do you think that that's part of the resistance? Absolutely, part of the resistance. Um, so it's really interesting. I'll have people come into my office, and they'll use the terminology. Well, if I die, this is what I want to have happen. <laughs> Right. There are no ifs in my business. Mm. Everyone dies. No one gets out of here alive. That's, that's a good point. Um, and it really makes people uncomfortable. But what I've found is that there are two groups of people that really can come to terms with this. The first is uh, when I have the unfortunate opportunity to go into the hospital to meet with somebody uh, who is unlikely to come home. Um, they have a very different view on how things are going to work. It isn't hypothetical. It's very tangible. What's going to happen in the next few months, years? How is my family going to deal with me no longer being here? Um, they Their perspective is very interesting. Uh, also, people who are a little bit older, I think uh, sometimes they're a little bit wiser. Uh, they've seen family members pass away. They've seen their kids grow, seen grandkids grow, have seen things happen. And they kind of understand uh, how life goes. And, and in both of those instances, 
there's a comfortability with talking about this topic. Um, it's really tough for young couples with young kids. Um, the, that's the, yeah, the group that I, I find the hardest uh, to talk about this with. I bet. Um, but some of my older clients, it, it's like I'm at a stand-up show. They're cracking jokes. Mm. Oh, pull the plug, dump me overboard. <laughs> uh, it's, it's, it, it gets kind of fun, uh, if not a little morose. It, it is fun. It and, sounds like it could be. But and, and a lot of the people who have wisdom, um, who have some age behind them, have seen – what happens when their friends die or their uncle has passed and then there's disruption within the family and they don't want that to happen. Mm. So they're more apt to sit down and let's get this done. I don't, I don't want that to happen to my family. But then there are people who say, I don't care. I'll be dead. Won't matter to me. They typically don't come to our office. And so then they don't do it. <laughs> right. trust or plan we don't, we don't, don't hear from them. They don't care. Right. Wow. That's an I am. It's an I am. It is. How does the I am apply to this, Mark? What do you think? I think it's um, <clears throat> it's it it's woven through um, all of the domains. Um, I think the estate plan is so vitally important for people because they care so much about everybody else, and they don't want to see people fighting over money. Right. They, they, that this, I can't tell you how many situations we've seen over the years where a death has completely ripped a family apart because of money and with some proper planning. And one of the things I like to talk about a lot is, is to talk with your family while you're alive, right? We talk about, um, on feel good Friday, every once in a while, we'll talk about now we're coming into the holiday season, be vulnerable, talk with your children about your estate, talk mm -hmm. about <clears throat> what you have and what you're going to give to them. You know, we love the lifetime gift giving so that the, the people can see, um, and, and experience some of the giving, but talk about what you hope will happen. Talk about, that you will be giving to charity um, and talk about what you hope they'll do with this money, right? So that it's not, it, people are so uncomfortable talking about money, Yeah. but it's so, it, it, it almost is the reason why these fights happen because it is not talked about throughout their life. Like it's almost a negative to talk. Don't, don't talk about money. And people don't understand money. And with that, it creates this pressure cooker. So yeah. all of a sudden, there's this pile of money and everybody's fighting over it. And all of a sudden, these relationships that were pretty strong are getting shredded. And, you know, you bring in the, you know, the spouses of the family and it, it, it could be very messy if there is no planning and no discussion and no you know, um, collaboration really. Yeah. It's like, who's going to get what and it can be, you know, who's more valuable. And then the idea is everyone's valuable. So let's, let's just make the plan. Everybody understands it. We actually have a caller. Let's do it. So we've got Carol on the line. Hello, Carol. Hi. Thanks so much for, uh, taking the call. Thanks for being here. And where are you calling from? 
I'm here in Marshfield. Ah, this is great. We've got coast to coast. So what's <laughs> yes, your question, please. Carol? What's your question for, uh, well, for Ben? I have a question about um, nursing home care. And this is another thing I think nobody wants to talk about and nobody wants to ever think will happen to them, but seems to happen to probably the majority of people. Mm. <laughs> and how do you, if, if, if one spouse or both spouses ended up, you know, needing long-term care at some point, how do you protect your home and any other assets? Um, you know, what do you need to do so that they aren't just all used up paying for nursing home care? Absolutely. Great question. And it's something that I bring up at every consultation I tell all my clients this. If you're 30 or you're 103, I'm going to talk about it because I think it's important to understand. There's three ways that long-term care is paid for in Massachusetts. Out of pocket with cash, which is pretty obvious. Long-term care insurance, which almost no one has. And something called MassHealth, which is the Massachusetts version of Medicaid. So uh, for most Americans, they're unable to fund a long stay in a long-term care facility with cash because it costs about $15,000 a month for a private room at a nursing home. Wow. Multiply 15000 by the number of months, 20 or 30 months, that could eat up a large part of somebody's estate. Um, so we think about strategies to protect that money. Uh, the first one is if you're young enough to qualify for a long-term care policy, I encourage you to talk to a financial advisor. Uh, it's like magic when that comes through my office. Uh, the person comes in, says, I have it. I say, that's great. You've just avoided having to worry about uh, a lien on your home after you pass away. Uh, your kids will thank you. And uh, it's unlikely that you'll actually have to spend money out of pocket. But if that's not a reality, we have tools. One of them is called a Medicaid planning trust. Sometimes it's called an irrevocable trust. The idea is we want to take assets out of your name early enough with the right type of trust that when you go to qualify, MassHealth will say, oh, this isn't an asset that's in your estate. Therefore, we can't put a lien against it. There are some downsides. Mm -hmm. It's definitely not a tool that fits everyone. And some of the things that I talk about with my clients would include uh, their family history. So what types of diseases run in their family, their age. I note that the average nursing home entrance age is uh, 88 in Massachusetts. So when I have clients that come in in their 50s and they're talking about this, sometimes we say, you know what, you're probably too young for this to make sense mm -hmm. because you're likely to need the equity in your home, whether it's because you're downsizing, whether it's because you want to take out a loan uh, with a mortgage. Um, so to some extent, it's like catching a falling knife. We want to do it early enough where we get the protection, but not so early that we have the downsides uh, and we're locking in this equity that we might otherwise need. But, but I, I think, Carol, were you asking how, how do you protect the asset of your home? Is that the only way to do it through an irrevocable trust? Uh, that's probably the most efficient way to do it. Um, you could give your house away to your kids, but there are some tax consequences that you want to think about. Um, mm -hmm. So not necessarily a gift tax, but you lose the opportunity for what's called a step up in basis. So the idea is if you hold an asset in a specific type of trust until you pass away, your kids, your kids will end up spending less money on taxes when they go to sell it after you pass away. Um, so I've found, and I think the majority of people have found that the irrevocable trust is usually the best option if the client's goal is to protect that asset. And what I remind people is that might not be your number one goal. Your number one goal might be, I want to maintain control over my assets, have access to the equity in the home. I want to remain in control as a decision maker. 
And that's completely reasonable and it's completely fine. Somebody else might come in and say, I want to make sure my kids get the largest inheritance possible. I want to make sure that they're taken care of. That's totally reasonable and fine as well. And one of the things that I am always very aware of is I try not to put my views on things and enter that into the conversation because, frankly, mm -hmm. it doesn't matter. I give people opportunities and information so that they can understand what the options are. And I remind them, I pass no judgment with what they decide to do. So I have a lot of clients that say, you know what? I'd rather maintain control over my house. I'm okay with the risk that my kids might not get as large of an inheritance as they otherwise would. And I think that's totally fine because uh, estate planning is really about making sure that your wishes are followed, whatever those wishes are. Mm. And, and if um, I were to, Carol, did you have a, another question? Two things. One, I appreciate your approach tremendously, and it makes me think, oh, it's probably a good idea to really talk to someone about this because it's a lot more complicated than just, you know, oh, quick, put your house in a trust and do it five years out, which is what, you know, I've heard in the past. Um, but I, my real question is, you know, what point is the right time if you do think ahead to get long-term care? Because if you wait until... Um, a certain point, it's it's not affordable or not really helpful. And, and Ben, could you simply explain the difference between the revocable trust and the irrevocable trust too for everybody? Sure. Um, so a revocable trust is, I kind of think of it like vanilla ice cream. Everyone likes it and there really aren't any downsides. Um, so there are no extra taxes. There is no filing fees. Um, it's uh, you're, You maintain complete control. You can make any changes to the trust that you want to. Um, you're calling the shots. The irrevocable trust cannot be changed. And that's really the problem. And it's the thing that uh, the federal government requires because they know it is a problem. Hmm. They didn't want to make it easy to protect your house. They want to make it painful so that people don't do it. So in essence, you're giving it away at yeah. that point while you're alive, as opposed to putting it in the bucket that you can control. Correct. Wow. So if you retain the right to make changes, the government treats that as though it's not really giving it away because you've retained control over the principal and you're able to give it back to yourself. Okay. Uh, but to answer the other question, there really is no set time. Um, I've had clients that are in their 50s that feel very strongly about protecting the asset. They don't have any plans to move. Uh, they don't plan to take out a reverse mortgage or any other type of mortgage. And uh, with a family history of early onset dementia or some other diseases that might require long-term care, they felt it was reasonable and appropriate to use an irrevocable trust in their 50s. Mm -hmm. I've had clients that are in their 80s that said, you know what, I'm going to roll the dice for another five years because I might be moving. I might need the money for round-the-world travel, mm -hmm. whatever. Um, so it, unfortunately, there's no right or wrong answer. Um, it's, we deal in shades of gray. Yeah. Oh. Thanks so much for calling in. Yes. And we actually have another caller on the line. Uh, Becca, uh, welcome to the Dr. Joe Hello. show. Hi. So where are you calling from? I'm calling from Los Angeles, California. Oh my what? gosh. <laughs> and uh, I, I so appreciate it. It's, it's so nice to know that we're, we're, you know, we're streaming. Really, we're streaming. We're influencing folks. Yeah. Odyssey. So Becca, what's your question for Ben? So I heard the word probate um, earlier, and I was just wondering, what is probate, and um, why Why am I always hearing people say, avoid it? <laughs> it absolutely. And um, there's definitely a good reason uh, that people are saying that. So probate is the process, process of going to court and asking a judge to accept a will, 
identify who the personal representative of the estate is going to be. We, we used to call them executors. Now we call them personal representatives and also identify who the devisees are under that will. Or if a person doesn't have a will, they have what's called, they have died in testate. Um, and we want the judge to declare that, that they don't have a will and who their heirs at law are. Um, the problem with probate isn't that it's in the court per se. It's that there are a lot of rules that go with it that make it a really long and arduous process. So for instance, a probate estate has to stay open for at least one year after the person's passed away. Hmm. And that doesn't sound so bad until you think about the fact that that means we have to have the personal representative reporting to the court for that year. Uh, we in all likelihood are going through two tax years, which means we're paying an accountant to pay an extra tax return. Uh, and in most cases it's closer to 18 months before everything's finalized and the money's been distributed. Um, like we were talking about before with a, uh, an action in the probate court, it's really easy to object by its very nature. Court invites people to file objections and uh, slow down the process. And quite frankly, uh, lawyers get involved and that can get expensive. Mm. Um, so with a probate process, we're looking at anywhere from five to $10,000, depending on the complexity of the estate. Sometimes it's less and sometimes it's more. It all depends on whether people are getting along, the nature of the assets at hand, if are there any legal issues that need to be resolved. Uh, and so what a lot of people decide is I don't want to deal with any of this. I want to go forward with a trust. And uh, as we were talking about before, a trust doesn't die. We don't need to probate a trust. We don't need to see who the next person is. We can just look at the document. Uh, and we're able to avoid that 12 to 18 month period, cuts it down usually to three to six months, saves a lot of money, saves a lot of time, and usually saves a lot of stress. Uh, it's much easier on the people involved to go through uh, trust administration than going through the probate court. Hmm. Is This is serious. Is the word probe in probate? Is that part of it? That you're probing the assets and who gets what? I, I, I don't know if that's on purpose, but it's definitely what happens. Yeah. Um, so especially if there's a will contest. So uh, one of the things that's been very eye-opening is I've been involved in uh, contests uh, with respect to capacity. So did the person have the right mental capacity to mm. sign a legal document? Um, very complicated cases. Uh, and the court is probing what was in that person's mind? What mm. was their mental condition? Uh, we're hiring experts. We're having people come in and trying to infer uh, what was this person's condition, um, uh, looking back potentially 24 months into the past. Um, so the court very much probes into what was going through the person's mind, what, is, what are their assets, um, and generally people just find it unpleasant. And it's one of the things I hear. They come in and say, my parents' estate went through probate. How do I avoid that? Mm. Uh, and that's uh, something that we can accomplish. Oh. That's great. Becca, thanks so much for the call. And maybe it's time for uh, for everybody to call Styles Law somewhere and get estate planning done. Sounds good. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Styles Law. How do they get in touch with Styles Law, actually? Uh, the best way is phone, 781-319-1900. 781-319-1900. We also have a website, styles-law.com. And we have a YouTube channel, Dr. Joe, which has a lot of frequently asked questions. Uh, you can actually go on YouTube, search Styles Law and Estate Planning or Styles Law Trust, and you're going to find a lot of uh, really, really good information there. That's great.
Well, thanks for calling, Becca, if you're still there. Much appreciated. Thank you, Becca. I, we, we're coming towards the end of the show. And so at the end of the show, we, we come back to the I am. The idea that we're always doing the best we can based on four domains, the influence of and response to our home domain, the social domain, the biological domain, and the I see, the way I see myself, the way I think other people see me. We spoke about that a little earlier. Because these four domains interact, a small change in any of the domains can have a big effect. You don't need to change everything. So, Ben, given what we're talking about tonight, what small change can you recommend to our listeners? So the small change I would recommend is taking that small step to start thinking about planning. That could be setting up a meeting with me. I think that's a, a good step. But it could also be talking to your kids about what you want to have happen, asking your kids to, who wants to be the decision maker if something were to happen to me. One small question can really start the path of getting a plan in place and being prepared in a way that helps your family and fulfills your wishes. That's a terrific small change. I think everybody can start doing that right away. If it's not Ben, because you may not be local, call somebody. And, and it would be an, an estate planner. Is that what you look up? Or? Yeah, estate planning attorney. Uh, okay. That would be a, a good term to look up. Okay. Um, but we represent people all across Massachusetts, from Worcester to Salem, there down to go. the Cape. There so. we go. Styles Law. <laughs> so the second truth of the I am, uh, everybody's got one, right? Everybody's interested through their IC domain what you think or feel about them. And you know it feels different in the biological domain when you feel respected or disrespected. You're part of someone's home and social domain. So what this means is you control no one, but you influence everyone. And you get to choose the kind of influence you want to be. Ben Cody, estate planner, what kind of influence do you want to be? I like being a teacher. So part of my job, people come in and they might not even know why they're in my office. And I like getting the opportunity to teach them what I do, but why it's important to them. Um, so I like to give people knowledge. And that's the small change that I would like to make. Yeah. It, it, you know, it sounds so simple. It sounds so practical. There are some obstacles just psychologically just to say, okay, I'm going to do this. But, you know. What's Stiles Law motto, right? Rather be... It's better to be proactive so you're not forced to be reactive. Right. So you're really using your prefrontal cortex. You're thinking things through in the future. What do I want to see next? Right. What do I want to leave to my kids? What, what do I want to sp spend now you know, so that I can enjoy these years of my life? So I think there's probably a whole nother component to estate planning in that way about how do you use the estate that you have to perhaps draw from it, live on it. Well, that's where the financial advisor comes into play, right? And it's that whole team approach where there's a lot of tax implications. So we need to have a, a tax uh, professional involved. The estate plan is planning it all out. However, what about while I'm alive, right? There's documentation in there for situations where if I become incapacitated while I'm alive, et cetera. But how do I spend down? How do I properly budget and allocate? Um, and some people, there's a, a very popular book out right now. I forget what it is. It's, um, I think it's called Die with Zero. Mm. So there's a strategy of, of how do you 
how do you utilize all of your estate before you die? Um, but that requires other professionals, and that's a financial advisor, which we always encourage people to get. And that's another thing that's not just for Richie Rich and the Trustafarian yeah. Nation. It's it's for everybody. It's for everybody. Estate planning. It's been a great show. Thank you so much, Ben. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Thank Mark, you, as Dr. always. Joe. Thanks, Larry. And thanks, all you callers. We'll see you next week. Hey, thanks for joining us today. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to subscribe on your platform of choice for a new episode each week and share this with everyone and anyone. If you have any questions or comments or have an idea for another guest, feel free to shoot me an email at mstyles at styles-law.com. That's M-S-T-I-L-E-S at styles-law.com. And if you are a real estate professional, be sure to check us out on our private exclusive Facebook page, The Real Estate School at 892 for content and Massachusetts continuing education opportunities. Be well, folks. This podcast is being provided for informational purposes only. The podcast is not a comprehensive overview of the subject and is not intended to provide legal or financial advice or an endorsement of any product or business. The views expressed by podcast guests are their own and their appearance on the podcast does not imply any endorsement of them or any entity they represent. Please seek legal, financial, or tax advice before taking any action on the matters or products discussed herein.